I would compare myself a lot to, you know, maybe it was another founder that raised $10 million for something that was similar. And I think everyone's on their own journey. And to me, and what I've come to realize with ShopBot Next is like, in my, in my lifestyle, right? What do I really want? I want a homestead upstate. I want some chickens. I want a healthy investment account and a savings. And I want to go on family vacations. Like how much money do I need to make not that much, happen? Not much. You know what I mean? It's not that much at all. It's not a bill. I don't need a billion dollars. I don't need even 500 million. Right, Maybe right. a few million per yeah. year. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo. Welcome to another episode of the Quintueras Podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another very special episode with another very special guest. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice in the intro that we shot this episode in person at one of my favorite coffee shops in the city, Milk and Pull. We're no longer recording these episodes via Zoom because we wanted to connect with our guests in person. Figured we get some good behind the scenes content, upgrade the quality of the video, and hopefully the in-person setting will make for a better conversation. That said, if you need somewhere to work or just in the mood for some delicious food and coffee, be sure to check out this black and Latina owned coffee shop in Brooklyn that has multiple locations. Go check out Milk and Pool. The clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Brittany Chavez. Before getting into the full conversation, let me give you a little bit more context into who she is so that you know who we're talking to. So Brittany is a Los Angeles born entrepreneur of Guatemalan and Nicaraguan heritage. Brittany has dedicated her career to building companies that celebrate the Latinx cultural experience with a keen eye for marketing trend identification and a knack for community building, Brittany has grown Shop Latinx into a vibrant platform. Her motivation lies in connecting with Latinx entrepreneurs, creators, and individuals while fostering and thriving a community with over 100K followers across social media who are all dedicated to amplifying Latinx culture and voices. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Brittany is, let's get into this dope conversation. So I typically start off asking people about the buzzword that is authenticity, right? When you hear the word, like what comes to mind? What does it mean for you? I think authenticity means like freedom of expression, freedom to be true to oneself. Okay. So growing up, do you think you had freedom of expression? Um, no. <laughs> uh, or actually, I think I did. I, so growing up, I was in musical theater. And so I do feel you like I had musical this, theater? Yeah, I had, um, I was a musical theater kid. I mean, growing up in LA, I did a lot of like auditions and I did a lot of print jobs. So I did have freedom of expression within, when I was acting, but I was, it was like freedom of expression via acting a character. So I don't think it was ever like freedom of my expression, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, and but that was a little bit of an escape, maybe. That was my escape. And then I think in reality, I felt like anytime I would express myself, I would get in trouble for it. Or I wasn't able to like freely express myself when it came to clothing. So I do think I, I grew up and I was taught that like conformity was the way to success. 
So it was never like malicious, I don't think, but it was a way for me, if you wanna thrive, you gotta conform. And so that freedom of expression that I had was very limited and I would only express that through acting class and through acting and becoming different characters. And in the acting, you could probably wear- All the masks. Yeah, yeah, like literally, and the gowns and the dr yeah. whatever the hell you wanted so to wear. I would improv class was something that I used to love as a kid. Like I was a little improv geek, and so being in that, or I think hanging out with friends, I was always, I was pretty expressive. I was always the funny kid, but I think sometimes it was maybe I just wanted like more attention. But like the freedom to truly express myself. I mean, what do you, I think like growing up, our family has so much expectations around like how we should show up. And part of it is they come from other parts. They did a lot to survive and they passed down like survival tactics down to us. Exactly. So 1000%. And I think the survival tactic that my mom passed down to me was like, she grew up in a semi rough part of Los Angeles. Her mom raised her and her mom made sure to get her into private school. So speaking quote unquote eloquently or with proper grammar was something that was really passed down onto me or assimilating towards whiteness, which was also professionalism, right? Was something that I was taught. And there were some things that were passed down on me that yeah, like I, I knew how to secure a job. My mom taught me how to when I was, when I was 18. I got my first job at the J. Crew outlet store and I got that by creating a resume and going in there and learning how to ask for the manager and if I wanted to work there I needed to dress the part and J. Crew's very preppy head to toe. I would kill for you those know? photos. Oh my god. I would kill for J. Crew photos. So like my I was a little preppy girl and that was my way of conforming by need of like money <laughs> or thinking that was my gateway to be successful so there were a lot it gets exhausting yeah. <laughs> it's really tiring so for you the like the like you were always conscious of the exchange between assimilating and money yes or assimilation and success or assimilation and being taken seriously or assimilation and being a part of a friend group because you know? at the end of the day, we all just want to be accepted, especially very early on. So we do what we can to, to be accepted. So in what ways did you see your family assimilate? Because some of these things I think were, were said to you or us, but then other times there are just these like unspoken things that you see, right? Like my mom never told me that I had to assimilate, but every day I saw her straighten her hair before she got to work. Oh my God. So but then it, Verbally, my grandfather would tell me, do you see president seals with beards and tattoos? So I got the nonverbal and I got the verbal. Yeah, I think most of that assimilation came from my mom and my grandma. And yeah, obviously when I come home from middle school and I get in her car and I have writing on my hands or something, she'll you, say you that. You cheating in middle school? I'm a cheat. I was a bad fucking kid. Don't even know. That's a whole nother story for, I was bad. I think everybody wrote a couple answers in, on their palm. You know she what I mean? might a little, Grab a couple things. Oh, really? Oh, I was, it was bad. Okay, did you get in trouble for it? Did you get caught for it? Three times really bad. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we, listen, we don't gotta get into it. If you can't vote, that's fine. I can vote. Okay, so that says enough. I had, it was three 
times in three different counties. Okay. So one count, like it's just, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Assimilation. Woman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, girl. So back to the assimilation. Yeah, yeah. I do think that even the way I speak, right, I think was passed down onto me when it comes to it's very anglicized, whatever. I don't know what, yeah, I think like I was very aware of the way that my mom spoke or the way that she would work a room that was predominantly white, but then, but you know, there there is a, a part of her too that was very close to her culture. Sure. However, I did, I actually, I think she's really good and she really taught me how to work a room or what is it like shape shifts or she's very fluid with the way that she can present herself. And so she can leverage her empathy or kind of like social cues to bring out a side of her that maybe when she leaves the room and she talks to family, it's different. Code switching. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you're, you're describing as fluid. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. is I guess code switching. And yeah. So she's, she was really good at that. So especially. you saw that on and off. Yeah, because my mom growing up, she worked admin jobs. At oh, these, my like, mom too. Really? So yeah. she was like, temping was always a word. So she would temp at different agencies that it was, well, there was a lot of white people. So in order for her, or she'd be the admin assistant, the executive admin assistant to the president, who was a white man. So she spoke the part, dressed the part, looked the part, which meant she has curly hair like me, straightening her hair, makeup to the T, shopping at Banana Republic and J. Crew, and a very preppy adjacent clothing. When I got into my face, or he started to embrace wearing the hoops and the curly hair and the baby thigh, and just expressing myself in ways that maybe weren't my parents and my family were didn't really understand that there was a question mark over like where she got that from when it was like middle school high school but yeah I think going back to that conformity and like growing up around a lot of white kids and those kids were rich and we didn't come from money I think like I did see that the closer I get to whiteness the more successful I could be and also too, through auditioning, right? You just know how to turn it on. Hi, I'm Brady Chavez and I'm five years old and I'm auditioning for a Target commercial. And then they'd make you do your profiles and then, you know, like- Oh, so you weren't just like on stage, like you also did auditions for brands and things like that yeah, too? Yeah, so like growing up, I went, like some of my best oh my friends were like Nickelodeon kids. Insert audition tapes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, or like- Some of your best friends were Nickelodeon kids? Yeah. Wait, so, all right, so early on, was that a career path that, like, you were seeing for yourself or people saw for you? I think my parents saw for me. So my dad lit, worked at a photo shop. He just was, like, the back, like, he worked for, it was called A&I Lab. So back in the day, a lot of the photography wasn't digital, it was manual, so you would have the camera room and all that stuff. And so A&I was where a lot of these agencies like LA Models and actors would get their headshots printed. So my dad worked there and in his free time, he had the camera that he would play around with. And obviously I was a cute, I was a fucking cute little toddler with Shirley Temple ringlets and my mom dressed me to the nines. And so my dad took headshots of me and then submitted them to a talent agency that began to rep represent me. And I did a lot of print work growing up and 
a lot of auditions. I wasn't in a lot of big shows, but I think being exposed to that world gave me the ability to turn it on. And then also too, I was extra income for my family, right? Because my mom was a sing my, my mom ended up becoming a single mom. And so we like survived between her job and me booking a gig every four months. I think it also became like, maybe in hindsight, like some pressure for me as a six, seven, eight year old to get my hair straightened, wear the right clothing, look like a Gap Kids model to then go into these rooms and hopefully we can book a commercial because my mom taking me to the auditions, that's, she has to leave work early, therefore she loses 50 bucks working hourly. So our hope was that we can bet on me booking something. And so I go in there and I'm like, hi, I'm Brittany and I'm auditioning for, and I read off a script. So granted, I didn't get any big roles, but like that money meant something to me and my family. Right, right. Not only earning it, but also the expectation of that check isn't all yours early on. Yeah. Potentially like my mom wouldn't, my mom would always tell me like, I don't care if you give me anything, but be sure to give your grandparents something. Whether it's like a few dollars to play the lotto or whatever, it doesn't have to be like your whole check, right? But right. there is an early expectation for me to give back in some way that like, and I think early on that put in for me that like, oh, whatever I'm doing career-wise isn't just for me. I'm not sure if I really understood that when I first started, but then down the line, I could see, gosh, like, why is she so mad that, like, I would go in, she'd be like, how was it? When I'd be like, oh, I think I bombed it. And I would get in trouble for bombing an audition. And so I'd be like, oh, like, this isn't, oh, like, we really need this. Or, and obviously I can totally empathize with her as a single mother, like, she, she's stressed. And she, we're paycheck to paycheck and we need to make ends meet. And I fooled around in the audition and I'm not gonna get a call back. And she's thinking, I just took off work, the gas, the outfit that I bought you, blah, blah, blah. So I think for her, like, I think it wasn't, you know, I, I became a teenager that I'm like, I don't, oh I, yeah, it is for both of us. Did it, stop became, did it stop becoming fun at that point? Yeah. I, when I do, I, I wish, and I do want it to be on like my bucket list to be in a play or something again and feel that because I really do love it. And I think at the time, yeah, I was, and then also too, it's just not fun constantly getting rejected and shit. Yeah, in general, that's not fun. <laughs> no. Wait, so do, do you still go to, do, do you enjoy it as entertainment at this point? Like going to plays, going to Broadway? I mean, you, you're in New York. No. It's so weird because I feel like That's I was so I loved that industry and then growing up and when I finished college I really wanted to work in the music industry and I did for some time and then there was a period where I just stopped listening to music. I feel like if you're passionate about something there maybe should be like a boundary in place where it's when you if you work in the industry that you love that curtain is gonna be pulled and you're gonna see the puppet master and like, you're gonna see, oh shit, like this is not fun. <laughs> and I, I feel like I have to rebuild a lot of my relationships with the things I was passionate about, even like Los Angeles. That, that's funny cause I like playing basketball, but I don't necessarily like, if I'm watching somebody play, I'm like, I wanna play, I don't wanna watch you play. But also maybe if you work in the music industry, you also see the ins and outs and you might, it might change your perspective on it just makes you jaded yeah i think having a sense of what is naivete 
around the things that you love. It's almost like celebrities, right? And once you meet your idols or something, they yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, like I wish some of my favorites didn't have social media because now they just ruin the fucking song for me. But I guess I should know who I'm, I don't know. That's like another conversation. But I think, you know, there has to be some sort of boundary that you have with the things that you're passionate about yeah. because once you insert like money into it or don't have a good relationship or if when you do you have to really water that relationship yeah. if you expect more than just joy from it and you expect money from it yeah. i think that's when you really have to like work the kinks out money does add some complexity to things for sure yeah. so when so when you thought career-wise, right, and you put a pause on entertainment, what was your first quote-unquote corporate job that you went into? Oh, I never had a corporate job. Really? No. So, dude. By the way, edit this, but I already knew that. I just wanted to be like, oh, really? <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I never had a corporate job. So I'm from doing auditions to then my first job being at the J. Crew outlet store at the Ontario Mills. <laughs> to working at, have you heard of the body shop? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The body butters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was an assistant manager. I don't making... know why I was so excited for that, but. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I walked the malls before. Yeah. I was working there making $12 an hour. Right. While going to school at Cal Poly Pomona. Who were we studying? Uh, communication with an emphasis in journalism. Okay. Yeah. And then also, and then I quit and I started working as a weed bud tender at like these really. Okay. There's really a fire sketchy, title. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. And it, at like these really sketchy locations all around OC and like deep in LA. And it would be like a small 12 by 12 room. And then you would just stand by the weed shop and you're just rolling joints all day and selling weed and then giving dabs and then the dab smoke makes you high and you're in the room for 14 hours a day and so I was doing that because I really thought that making $12 an hour cash and I so I view in this cooped up room for 14 hours a day making $150 cash a day but you're probably like the best blunt roller of all time no though. I <laughs> I mean, all yeah, that experience. Yeah, pretty good. Is that, is that the top of your resume? Yeah. So it's, if you go on my LinkedIn, it's CEO of ShopLineX, and then it's butt tender, and then my qualifications. It's blunt rolling, joint rolling, accurately measuring eighths, and stapling the bags. Incredible. Yeah. Thank okay. You. That, okay, I didn't know about these, all these jobs you've had. Okay, <laughs> very cool. Oh, I was also a dog sitter. So I lived in a house... Dude, I've actually, I don't think I've ever told anyone this on a podcast. So I used to live in a house that was owned by a woman that was a hoarder and hoarded dogs. So in this house, there were kennels of dogs. So on the property, there was at least 30 dogs. And when you would open a door to go to the bathroom, all 30 dogs will start barking. And it stunk. And... Maybe as big as this coffee shop, maybe a little smaller, filled with 30 dogs. Okay. And she let me rent a room for $200. Wait, you lived there? I lived in I the house. I thought you worked. 
No, I lived there for $200 and then every morning I had to clean the dog poop. And then she hooked me up with her homegirl. That So this is a weird community of animal lovers. Like there's more, so there's a community of animals. So this is so weird. So like It's she, funny how you call them hoarders and other lovers. Animal hoarders and animal lovers. I mean, they I are I feel kinda, like they're conflating the yeah, two. Yeah. So they're these like older white ladies that have, that just love animals. You didn't have to tell me and she so was white. She, could, <laughs> she connected me with this girl that I'm sure maybe she was like a trust fund baby and she would go through Craigslist ads and find cats that cats and animals that people were giving away. And she would in her head be like, I, we need to go save them. And so I had a Prius and between all of this, I was Uber driving. So I'm like deep in survival mode. I don't know what I want to do with my life. So I would be Uber driving and then I would be living in this house with these 30 dogs cleaning up dog poop. Then I got connected to this lady who would be like, hey, can I pay you $150 to drive 40 miles to pick up three bunnies? So I'd go randomly to the trailer park and see this old man and he'd be like, oh yeah, I have my three bunnies and then I pick up the bunnies and then she would pay me. And I really, and so I would be working these gigs. So I know on this podcast, you bring on a lot of people that were in corporate and like these were the gigs that I was working. I think I was also an intern for Interscope Records, but again, I never made it past intern. I was an intern for Vibe magazine, never made it past intern, so. But those are corporate jobs as well. No, though, they're not. Because, I mean, well, well Vibe, it was cool. They were a couple years older than me, and it wasn't really corporate. Because right. the music industry, you yeah, consider that Yeah, I guess maybe, maybe, yeah. Or maybe it's corporate, because when I think of corporate, I think of, hello, Bob, you know what I mean? When, when I, when, yeah. for me, I worked in, in urban marketing for Interscope. So I do think that there was some freedom to just dress and talk like yourself and not have to code switch. So maybe it was corporate, but it didn't feel like what I thought corporate would be because it felt like I was around my peers and I was around like Latinos that like understood me. However, when it comes to like formal training and experience, I mean, as an intern, I think that's it's really rare where you can get like real hands-on experience outside of shipping boxes. Yeah, like, and how old were you at that time when you started? I was an older intern. I was like 24, 25, you know, as an intern. Um, how, did, how did it feel being an intern? Because at, at that age, which is not old, but you called yourself older, I'm assuming it's because you're comparing yourself I'm to- I'm comparing myself to the other interns, to my peers, to where I saw other friends my age doing with their careers. Like I was an intern for Vibe where I had best friends that graduated from NYU and were working with these huge producers or something. So I do think that being 25, 26 is when I started ShopBotNX but it was an Instagram account at that point. It wasn't until I was 30, two and a half years ago, that I got money for the first time in my life. So I think that was really weird for me. What do you mean for the first time? Because it was making revenue, being the, the money you raised. I guess maybe like living comfortably or prior to that, I was like making ends meet, getting with these weird, wacky jobs. And yeah, I think the comparison really got to me where I'm 
25 working in an office where other 25 year olds are like managers. And then I'm sitting there, there's this glass ceiling. And I guess maybe now in hindsight, yeah, it was a little corporate-y, right? Where I saw people rubbing shoulders with this person in hopes that they can move over to their department. And I'm like, this is boring. And so I ended up like quitting inner- well, What do you mean it was boring? What was boring about it? I guess just seeing that there's like this- Oh, because you saw a glass ceiling already. I was going to say glass ceiling, dude. Well, yeah. You said, it. you said it. Oh, I already I took said the it? From you. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's like you read my mind. It also sounds like you started really- the dynamics of yeah the politicking to be like look what yes. i'm doing and you know what in that department because i was working with which i also don't i mean the urban right so i was working in the urban marketing department it did feel like those are the people that bring in, like the ANRs there, they're so talented and they brought in talent during that time. When it just felt we were a joke to the white people that also worked there that were working with the white artists. So, like, it just felt like, I don't know, I'm not around a lot of non-POC often, but when I am... That's, that's, that's dope. dope, that's your dope. <laughs> that's so, you know, and it, you know, that's too. another thing too, like my experience in venture was very black and brown. I don't, really talk yeah. I don't really talk to not people that are not my people, which is really cool. Yeah. I I'm curious, like, as, cause like you launched Shop Latinx as an Instagram account and it's grown to what it is now, and now you're launching like other brands. I'm curious, like, as you become more and more of a leader and you build out a team, like what are some stereotypes of a CEO that you're just like, I don't wanna be that? Like, I saw you do the impersonation earlier. <laughs> like, what I are, don't wanna be that. Yeah, what are the things that you're just like, I don't wanna be that person? I don't wanna be that, good question. Things I don't want to be like, I guess like fake and fake to me means like inauthentic and inauthentic to me means, I guess it's like fake empathetic. Like I don't want to have a lack of understanding. You've mentioned empathy a few times. Yeah. Or like just, I don't want to pretend like I care. I want to care. And I feel like some CEOs. Or I think even to like abolish jargon or abolish, I think just- like, I was just talking to my friend about this. Really? Like corporate phrases that I just like hate. Or just Piggybacking like, off of that. Or <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I think the etiquette that comes from what we think is corporate or from corporate America is like, it's like for what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like meetings. I, I don't want to be a CEO that just has meetings just to have meetings. Like I think there's a lot of things about CEOs that like, or just a company structures that lack efficiency, you know? And I wanna be like efficient. And I just, does that make sense? Like we don't need to have a meeting and we don't need to do this. And it could have been just an email and like, you didn't need to say it like that. It just comes off a little arrogant. Just tell me what you want. Or, or I think passive aggression is something that is like normalized within corporate where it's, yo, let's just talk. How are you feeling? Like, what's up? And I think that's really important to me.
I, it's funny because anybody looking at you from the outside in would be like, I'd kill to be where she's at, right? But comparison is like the deep of joy, right? And my therapist off, she told me one day, she was like, we never compare down. We always compare up. And whatever compared down is, right? But there's, there's people that have less experience than you. Although there's people that have done less than you. You're not gonna compare yourself to them though, because we're always looking up and be like, we're oh, but they're, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're That's doing that. That's a good call out. Do you feel like you still do that? Lately, no. I think the last month has been, I've experienced a really big revelation around what success looks like to me and what freedom looks like to me. And so I don't compare myself to anyone but myself, but it's hard. I think it takes a lot of practice that you have to build a relationship with yourself, with social media. You have to learn not to allow people's projections affect you. What do you mean people's projections? Just projections that kind of, of like, you affects you. That kind of goes into like earlier about like expectations, right? That people yeah. have for us. Is that kind of like what you mean? Yeah, or like people, what people think of you. Don't allow what people think of you to affect who you know you are. And I think that like with venture capital, right? I had a talk with someone earlier about, I thought success was raising money, but all venture capital is, is debt. Like congrats, you took out a loan and now you have this high expectation from your investors to be a billion dollar company. Cool. And I think for me now, and so I would always compare myself to my peers or to other people or like white men that would raise an exorbitant amount of money only to, in parentheses, sh shut down six months later. But I do think that when I thought success was being this like huge company, I would compare myself a lot to, you know, maybe it was another founder that raised $10 million for something that was similar. Yeah. And I think everyone's on their own journey. And to me, and what I've come to realize with Shop Latinx is like, or even my, in my lifestyle, right? What do I really want? Yeah. I want a homestead upstate. I want some chickens. I want a healthy investment account and a savings. And I want to go on family vacations. Like how much money do I need to make not that much, happen? Not much. You know what I mean? It's not that much at all. It's not a bill. I don't need a billion dollars. I don't need even 500 million, right, maybe right. a few million per yeah. year. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and like, so. And, not, and really not even. But, but yeah. like really not even. Right. Like I could do all this next year and I will. And I don't need to burn myself out or overexert myself or compromise my vision for Shop Latinx to make that happen. Yeah. I think for so long Shop Latinx was this community and I was very money poor when I started it. So I saw this gateway of turning it into a commerce platform, which I'm so happy that I was able to experience creating that. But this revelation that my community, this community that I've built, they don't want to be sold. They don't want Shop Latinx to sell them products. My community is Shop Latinx's product. And what this community wants is that 
They want to be introduced to new brands. They want to see themselves. They want in the stories that we tell. They want to be inspired. They want to be supported. They want to. They want their work or their business to be amplified. When we put on a party, they want to show out and they want to meet other people. They don't want to be sold a product by us. If they so choose to, via a brand that we promote to purchase that product, they will. But Shop Latinx is a sacred space for them to commune and to uplift one another. Mm. And so I don't need a chief product officer or a product manager or something to create that. And I'm glad that I experienced that because I learned a lot of lessons with how to create a pitch deck and how to get a million dollars. That's a huge feat that, you, coming you, from someone that used to fucking transport bunnies. Transport <laughs> bunnies. That'd be like, the episode title. <laughs> It's gonna be a thumbnail with a van and like a bunch of bunnies. No, well, that was me in my white Prius. It's so fascinating because we had this conversation offline, but one of my friends asked me as I'm build as I'm building this wellness app. They asked me. I was talking about like Apple, how they're launching like other wellness products, and they asked me something along the lines of, "Well, do you want to build the biggest wellness app?" And automatically, I was like, "Duh, of course I want to build the biggest wellness app." But that's such a like answer that we've been trained to say. In, especially in the US, it's like always aim for the biggest, always aim for the best. And as I stepped back, I was like, if I want to do that, it comes with a certain lifestyle, it comes with a certain number of hours work, that comes with a certain number of investors that I would need to have in order to raise the money. I would have board meetings, board members sure, that did sure, take sure. your salary, sure, you know yeah. what I mean, and your level of yeah. freedom. And then I thought about, well, why do I want to do that? What would it look like if I build the I'm making this up, the 15th biggest, that would still enable me to take all the things and vacations and whatever that you were just talking about, but maybe with less pressure, with less expectations. But I I don't think it's something that people often think about. I think people, especially in the US, it's just like always aim for the biggest and the best. And people don't often think about what comes with that. So I think it's something that I'm starting to explore, which I haven't made up my mind yet, but how did you get to that? As I start my exploration, my self-discovery in that, how, what did you do to get to that point? Think that through. Oh my gosh. So I, so a couple months ago, I, I was reaching out and cold emailing investors via LinkedIn so that I can raise this pre-seed, pre-seed extension. And I wanted to raise, so I've already raised a million dollars and I wanted to raise an extra 500,000. But the VC climate right now, it's, it's so hard for consumer brands to raise capital. And I'm going to announce this soon, so maybe you'll post it before I announce it or after I announce it. I don't know. But so Shop Latinx, the marketplace, I realized that it didn't work. And I made all these assumptions, like maybe it was the lack of merchandising or the categories or it's too broad or maybe it's a community. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it one more fucking shot. I'm going to make this perfect. So boom, I like birthed our Paradiso and it was a wellness and beauty retailer that focuses on this and I made it so clear and I spent six months just interviewing, getting all the statistics. I'm like, oh, it's right here. This is a huge opportunity. Within three months, I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like I, it's not working, like something's not working. And so it's really hard right now to have a retailer. And so I, when I was emailing these investors, there was a few that took some calls. One of them was, this guy, this older white man who has been working in beauty for 20 years. And I went on a call with him and I was like, 
I wanted to have this conversation to have to, to pitch you my company and potentially have you angel invest, but I'm realizing that I don't even want to do this anymore because the margins are razor thin. Mm. There's a lot of competition. This, I don't want to be attached to inventory, blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. And mm -hmm. he was like, congratulations. You learned in two years what it took me 20 years to figure out. He was like, Sephora, 60% of their revenue comes from the Sephora products, not the products, other brands' products that they sell in the retailer, right? So same thing with Costco, like Kirkland is the biggest brand that that's how they generate the biggest profit. So say that to say, we're pivoting both platforms to be purely digital content and media, where now the revenue is gonna be so much greater and the lift is gonna be lower because we've really refined our audience and we're growing it every day on social. So then I- Y'all are killing it on social. Oh, thank you so much. You do such a great job, by the way, of getting, of finding the right visionaries to partner with as well. Like the shit y'all just did with the, was that in your apartment? The fucking photo shoot for our Paradiso? Yeah. That shit was fire. Dude. That shit was fire. I'm like, and I, and I kept thinking like how- I, Then I went to her page, the-, the Carolina? Woman, she's amazing. She's amazing. I, I feel like that's what I'm good at, right? So it's like, how do I monetize that? And it's, I don't want to sell, pro I'm not a commerce girl. I don't come from, re I mean, J. Crew <laughs> outlet, folding uh, shirts. You, you don't come from retail? <laughs> I don't know. Cue like Kanye spaceship. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's how I felt and I don't want to, that's just not me. I'm not e-commerce. When I tried it, I did see that there's an opportunity. And if someone wanted to do it with LVMH backing, they should totally do it and center the Latinx experience. However, for me, my IP is in brand development. It's in marketing. It's in strategic partnerships. It's in audience development. It's with the focus of the Latinx community. And so my, the one converse, the additional conversation that I had that really made me ex expanded my mind was actually Latin, the founder of a Latinx media platform. I saw that he was an angel investor on his LinkedIn. So he's, this is a platform that I admire that has interviewed me in the past that I see their, the way that they think about Latinidad in a way that's really refreshing is so in alignment. There's just, the, the stars are aligned. When I talked to him on the phone and he gave me such good insight. And this was the first time where he was like, do you want to be a billion dollar company? Do you want more investors on your cap table? It's all debt. He was like, wouldn't you rather have a clean cap table and own 100% and pay your investors back than have more? And he was like, and he was like look, I'm married with a kid. I moved out of Los New York and I now live in the suburbs. He was like, I sold my company and I live a good life. There are things and there's mistakes that I made along the way that I'm more than happy to share with you. He's like one of them being like these, you know, a, a group of investors, you know what I mean? And he was like, you don't want that. You don't want someone to make you dictate, or have, you know, to come in and dictate the future of your company. So he's, so what will really make you happy? You know, do you want to maybe sell Shop.nex for a few million dollars? Like he was like a million dollars, I know will change your life right now, Brittany. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is that what you want to do? Do you think that you can find the right? And he was like, you don't need the money. You just need a good team. So like, you don't need more investment because you're going to use that money to hire someone anyway. Why don't you just 
hire someone and not without giving them the money right now. Maybe it could be some advisory shares or commission. And so that really expanded my mind and it, I really had to sit with that. Like, what will make me happy? Going back to what we talked about in the beginning of our podcast, like, is it to be, to go public? And I think this whole time I've been, you know, my only mentors have been the investors on my cap table that, you know, they're projecting onto me their wants for my company without really being in the weeds and really understanding what we're really understanding what we're doing and what I want to do and what I want the future of this to be. And for you. And for me. Not only they're not, for the you know, they're looking out for the company, but like right. and their best interests. But like my right. best interest is actually how do I want to be a lazy CEO while also still making impact? Like Shop Latinx, we put on great events, but I don't want that to be the bread and butter of my company because yeah. the margins are razor thin. There's a lot of labor involved. Yeah. And so what do, we put so much into building this online community that shows up in person that's very valuable. Where? By 2030, what is it? Like over half of the U.S. is going to identify as Latino. Let's keep working on what we're working on. And then when I set that intention, everything came to place. The right people came into place um, that are literally working on commission. And because they, they're betting on the success of Shop Latinx, Next. And they've literally told me verbatim, like, when you win, we all win. And, and that's what I want. You know, I just want to live a simple life, a healthy life, a fruitful life. Simple means that, like, I have... Yeah the abundance to make it simple. Yeah. And, and I just... And that person must have been like the first person that gave you, um, that must have been the first person that gave you almost like permission to be like... Permission. Oh, this life is possible. Yes. Because everyone else that all of your other advisors may not have wanted such a simple life as that other person. Like this must have been the first person who was like, I can't do this. <laughs> 1,000%. It just made things feel more real and attainable and therefore exciting. But you know that you are doing the same as that guy for people. <laughs> I you mean, are. by you being yourself, by you talking about, you know how many people probably like are amazing blunt rollers and don't talk about it? <laughs> I'm serious. You know how many people worked like, quote unquote, these random jobs, but don't talk about it? How many people? You are the representation that other people are now looking for and being like, oh shit, yeah, I don't want to fucking live in the city. I want to live here. I want to dress like that. I want to do this. Like you're giving someone just as much permission as that other person. And that's why I do this. Whoa. Permission. So to wrap up, what's the one thing that inspires you and empowers you to continue being the most authentic self? Can you repeat that? Yeah, yeah, I felt like I left you on permission. You were just like, oh, permission. Wait, I was like, purpose, permission. Whoa. And then my mind just, I like floated. I think it, that was a little out of body for me. Oh, I'm better. But no, that was good. Or you're welcome. No, thank you. Whoa. I think that's maybe my purpose. To give people permission? Yeah, but what was your question? I, it was just what continues to inspire you to be yourself? That's by being myself, I allow people to be themselves. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Game Through Edits podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, 
please do us a favor like share comment wherever you're listening either spotify apple there's likely an opportunity to leave a rating and a review please do so because it's going to help ensure that these experiences and stories get heard by as many people as possible because that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism thank you see you next time